0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. A couple of years ago when uh, we were doing some remodeling, like half the world it seemed like was redoing their home. You know, we couldn't go anywhere and people were kind of fixing things up. We kind of got on that stretch as a family ourselves and, uh, so we did one big room and it ended up being, not exaggerating, three or four times what we expected. It ended up ripping up flooring and shoring up foundations. And I thought, I just wanted to put like a floor covering on. I didn't realize that I was losing the whole house, you know, I'm kind of glad in the scheme of things. Sometimes it's good to not look, you know, ignorance is bliss. But uh, anyway, and then we kind of moved into a little den area that the carpet had been there, I think, since like maybe the 80s. It Not exaggerating, it just really needed to go away. And, and, uh, and I was told by the previous owner, we've lived there now almost 20 years, but I was told by the previous owner that there's a, a well underneath that floor. It's a den area. And if you know anything about wells, they should not be under your house. They should be... <laughs> somewhere else. You know, the pump should be in your house. If, you, if you've if you always had municipal water in your house, you never even thought to this. You just turn the faucet, it's on and off, you know. And if you own the well and you live in the country, you kind of your own, you're your own wastewater and water management person. So anyway, so we, we, we found the well, we took the floor covering off, and we kind of poked around, and we found it, and, uh, and it's kind of a hole in our, our den. So it's just, it's so crazy. There's this crawl space, and if you pull it up, there's just a hole. I think if there's a nuclear fallout or if terrorists ever attack, I can cram all my, you know, we can just go right down in that concrete, and that's that's our well pump. So, you know, at the very bottom, you don't see it quite so well, but, you know, no, truly, no pun or whatever intended, you don't see it so good, but, you know, there's a pump about like that, and it's about 75 feet down, and so my boys and I were able to hoist it up, and I think Titus, we ran it out the window. It was like 75 feet of plastic. Not many people can work on a well in February, but when it's in your house, you know, you can kind of do that because the ground's not frozen. And, and so we managed to replace the pump and got it in there, and the water's fantastic because the other well, the main well that feeds the house, it, it's the sulfur water. And if you know anything about sulfur, it just stinks, it tastes terrible, it's a pain, and. All of that in this well, we give directly to our our kitchen cold faucets. not enough to do the whole house, and and it's wonderful. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about our tongue. And our tongue works exactly like a well. Whenever Whenever you turn on the water faucet, you draw water from wherever it comes from, whether it's your tank, you know, or for some other tank somewhere, but, you know, water comes out. And when that pressure goes down, then the pumps kick on and it pushes more water in. And the pump just naturally pushes whatever happens to be down in the well. If it's good water, great. If it's bad water, bad for you. If it's not so good, well, what's in the well is what comes out. When you and I open our mouths, it's the exact same thing as opening the valve on the faucet on your kitchen sink, and what is down in the well, what's down in your heart, what's down in your soul, is what comes out your mouth. It's a very simple process, but it is one difficult to get our handle on. Jesus said, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. That's what we say. Our mouths are a picture of what's down inside the well. James tells us that the tongue is a powerful thing. Just like a small little rudder on a ship can steer a ship where it goes, the tongue is a powerful thing. In fact, it's uncontrollable. It just kind of runs and it kind of goes. And In fact, he also said it's like, if anyone can't really control their tongue, their religion is worthless. You know, religion or your faith, if it's just a ritual that you do and it doesn't change your life, something is wrong somewhere. Because Jesus, when he saves us, he changes us up from the inside. So we're going to talk this morning about wise words that please God. But I kind of like when you get on the ride, you know, please buckle your seatbelts, keep all hands inside, you know, at the same time, because we wrestle with our mouth, Right. We say stuff that we regret and we don't. Where did that come from? And that stuff comes out because we're going to take a ride down into what's inside our soul and it's not a pretty fun ride. So read with me if you would in, in Proverbs. I want you to notice six things about the tongue. We're going to, in fact, six kind of tongues. Five, five are good. Well, they're all kind of, there's a good and a bad to them all. But one of them I'm going to share with you is, is clearly one that we should not do. But the Proverbs have so many so many sayings about our mouth. And our mouth is the powerfully used for good and powerfully used for evil. And the first tongue that we should talk about is the wise tongue, the speaking words of wisdom. Look what Proverbs 25 verse 11 says. It says this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I love that, that proverb. Have you know, ever been struggling with what to do or trying to understand a situation or what's going on, and somebody can say something, and it's just like, wow, that is just so insightful, so helpful, so thoughtful, kind of cuts through the fog, and that's exactly what we need to do? That's what this is talking about, that a wise tongue, a wise word that is spoken that's, that fits the situation is like an apple or apples of gold framed by silver. It's valuable. It's beautiful. It's just what we need. That's the kind of language, that's the kind of things that should come out of our mouth is words of wisdom, a wise tongue. 15.2 says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. It just keeps coming out. Wisdom comes out of our soul. And it, it gives knowledge to people. It gives knowledge. It helps us. It helps our hearers. We want to be have words of wisdom. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, words of wisdom are words that don't swing a sword around, not just... You know where you're kind of ducking in somebody have you ever had a conversation with people and it's just like they're slashing you know and and even sometimes they can they're just they're irritated in their soul and they can complain about this and next thing you know they jump to this one and they jump to that thing and it's like you just you are that rash person in this moment, and we all have been there and done it ourselves, and there's not wisdom now what the bible says, if you look at this closely it's very consistent and you can The Word of God is from God, so there's no error, there's no flaw in it whatsoever, there is no weakness in it, and you can examine it and bank on it for your life. And the Bible speaks this very clearly, because notice that the Bible says is that the tongue of the wise, it's not just that people speak words of wisdom, it's that people are wise already, and then they're wise, they speak wisdom. Wisdom. You see, what's in the well is what comes out when you open the faucet. If you are a wise person, then wisdom comes out. If you are a foolish person, then foolishness comes out. Look what Proverbs 18 says. A fool takes, pleasure in underst- a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool's lips walk into a fight. I love this. And his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> you are asking for a beating, my friend. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Notice carefully, verse 2, that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his opinion. Do we not live in a world where everybody likes to share their opinion? More than ever. And the Bible says somebody that only wants to share their opinion is a fool. Because at the end of the day, they just want to share what they think and their opinion, and they're really not interested in understanding and learning. That, by definition, my friend, is what a fool is. You know, a fool thinks they've got what they need and they don't need to hear or learn anything from anybody else. And that is foolish talk because none of us have it all figured out. So if you are that person that tends to be very opinionated, be careful, you are walking into very foolish territory. That by nature, we should be as words of wisdom. We should be trying to understand wisdom inside our soul. We should be getting wisdom into our well so that in time that we can speak words of wisdom, we can understand. And you know how it is. You have a conversation. There may be differences of opinion or disagreements or trying to figure things out. And we shouldn't be rash to be the one to throw everything on the table because some of that could be foolishness. And we need to listen and we need to grow in an understanding and grow in our learning. Mom and dad, one of the most helpful things you can do with your children is learn to help them to learn to listen and look for wisdom. Because not everything they have to say is really wise. Now I certainly we don't need to be oppressive parents as parents like you can't ever say anything and any of that, so you just keep you're quiet. I mean, that's not cool either. But the Bible also says foolishness is bound up in the heart of every child. And we don't score points, mom and dad, by just letting our kids run off at the mouth and spout all that foolishness. They along the way need to learn that they need to be listening to some wisdom and that that is a life skill, if you will, that needs to be developed early on. So we all we want to speak words of wisdom. We want to be helpful. We want to believe wisdom. We want to speak wisdom. But the Bible right off the bat tells us that that, that uh, there's a huge difference in here. Foolishness just goes off speaking opinions and doesn't think about impact and brandishes its their words just just aimlessly. And it doesn't, it's not beautiful. It's not helpful. It doesn't promote healing and ultimately produces ruin in our lives. And the sad reality is, is that fools, most fools don't know that they're foolish. And they don't recognize that they're acting foolishly. But the scripture is really clear. If we don't have a, an attitude and a posture of trying to learn and we walk into situations where we think we've got it all figured out, then we in that moment, whether we're a wise person overall or not, it is irrelevant. In that moment, we are acting like a fool. And instead, we need to be seeking wisdom, speaking along the way. Second tongue that we need to pay attention to is a righteous tongue. Shared last week how Proverbs connects wisdom and righteousness. We know it's all about wisdom, but it's also all about righteousness. In Proverbs, there are many Proverbs that speak spe- specifically to the mouth of the righteous person not just the mouth of the wise person but the mouth of the righteous person proverbs 10:11 says this the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life produces life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence the person who is sinful and wicked in their heart their mouth only produces ultimately violence and chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's valuable. And the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Notice how before wisdom and foolishness or fools were put kind of opposite end of the spectrum. Now righteous people are put opposite of fools. So wisdom and righteous, you really can't be a wise person and be an unrighteous person. That's not reality. Righteous words come from righteous people. You can't expect something out of the well. You can't expect something to come out of the faucet that isn't down in the well at all. Now, the Bible, as I shared with you last week, when it, we think about what it means to be a righteous person and have a righteous heart, there's two Things two ways to look at that. And it's very important that we understand these. Many Christians, many churches get these confused. God declares us to be righteous. That happens at a moment in time when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ and we trust His death on the cross to be the only thing that saves us. We put our faith in Him and we are born again and we become a saved child of God. And then God, the rest of our life, works at making us righteous. Let me illustrate it this way. A few years ago, my main well, before we found this one that had been dormant for like a number of years and got it fixed and we're enjoying the water, but my main well is about 200 feet down and we stopped getting water out of it. And so I called the the, the well company, I found one that would come out and uh, would look at it and they said, you know what, you might not, you might have some other problems. They came, they tested the pump and everything on the pump was okay and. They said it might be that your well's just really plugged up. I'm like, what do you mean, like plugged? Like how do you I never give any thoughts to this. I've learned I know more stuff about wells than I really want to than I ought to. I could probably troubleshoot much in your house if you need help. I'm not offering, but I you know, if you're really desperate I could go there. But they said, you know what, so here's how, you, I'm like, well, how do you fix it? Well, we don't really know, you know, if that's right or not. probably is, so what you do is you call up the guy that delivers water for your pool. So if you have a pool, you probably call this guy to fill your, you know, the water up in the pool. It's like a 1,000-gallon truck, whatever, and just put as much water as you can, good, clean water down the well. And if it overflows the well, then it's plugged, which is a good thing. What that means is, is that it's not that your well is dry, because if it was dry and all of that aquifer under the ground was wide open, you could put a thousand, you could put thousands of thousands of gallons in the water, well into the water or water in the well, and it won't overflow. So we became the guy, and it sure enough, it plugged up, water started overflowing. And I'm like, okay, this is a good thing. So they they came back, two trucks, took two or three hours, and they're like. We are going to fix this well for you. It is good, going to be good to go. And I'm saying like, I just want my toilets to flush. You know, I just like, it's kind of big. I can go to the store and buy water to drink, but I really want, my, my wife likes flushing toilets, and I kind of agree with her on this. And so they started pumping water down into it and under high pressure. They were cleaning the well out. I didn't know you could clean wells. I didn't know it was a thing. But they were just, you know, kept going down and down. It was like 200 feet down. And early on, the water that was coming out looked fairly clean. But then it started getting nasty. Like, oh, yeah, you haven't seen anything yet. And what happens, because that sulfur water, sul- what produces sulfur water is sulfur bacteria. And the bottom part of the well, when they looked at it, it was like a chocolatey strawberry pudding. And it basically, there was not water to pump. It was like just trying to pump this congealed goo. And so they, when they got down to that level, the smell and the stuff that was coming out, I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" It killed the grass for like weeks <laughs> when it overflowed and all of it. And they cleaned it all out. And they said, "Well, I'm like, well, what do we do? Just put some chlorine down it and stay on it; it'll be okay." I'm like, "Great!" That's exactly what God does in our life. Those guys showed up with their trucks. They knew what they were doing, and they said, "This well is going to be fine," but it still needed to be clean, right? When God shows up in our life and we surrender our life to Jesus, Jesus stands over our life just like those guys did. And they said, you are forgiven of your sin. You are righteous in my eyes. They could look at that and say, we've got this fixed. No problem, Sean. It's as good as good as done. I trusted them. And God declares that over our life. We are a righteous person. But then what God does is he does a deep dive into our soul for the rest of our life And he starts scrubbing. And he starts cleaning the gunk out of our heart and our soul. And that's the righteousness that we are supposed to live out of. And it's not pretty. It's messy. It's nasty. His judgment is done. So he looks and he still sees the practical sin reality of our life. Like just as these guys said, Sean, this well is going to be as good as new. You're going to be all set. You're, you're going to be good to go. He makes a declaration over our life that we are forgiven of our sin, and he no longer judges our sin because that sin was judged on the cross with Jesus. But rather, he then, in love, starts scrubbing. He scrubs the junk out of our life on the inside. And that's what our life is spent mostly as followers of Jesus, is God dealing with that. So don't look at this when we hear the righteous is just somebody that's, you know, either perfect or whatever. These are people who are forgiven of sin and people that God is cleaning up the well in their life. He's getting the junk out of it. And the Bible says that when Jesus has forgiven our sin and he's been scrubbing then the stuff that comes out of our well is good, sweet water, and it produces life. Not to us, to the people around us that hear us and that listen and see, and they take it in, and it helps them in their life. And it's like a choice. It's silver, and it feeds many people. That's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to change us. He wants to save us by grace through Jesus, and then he wants us to be a vehicle of that grace as we speak into other people's lives. He wants our righteous tongue to reflect what he's doing down in our heart. Proverbs fifteen twenty six or 28 says this, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. See, here's the thing. When people are righteous, in other words, God has set up shop over their soul and declared them good and righteous. And when He's working in their soul, making them righteous in their life, changing their life, the righteous person knows that there's still some junk down in that well. And the righteous person knows that they need to be a little more careful and thoughtful about what they say. Because... The heart of the righteous thinks about how to answer and doesn't just blurt out. I'll talk at the end this morning about the necessity of controlling the tongue and how to restrain tongue. But the righteous person says, you know what? Jesus has saved me, and I am not what I used to be, and He's forgiven my sins, but oh, there's still some junk down in there. And I need to be careful. And maybe you've not been as careful lately as you need to be, the, what comes out of the well, what comes out of your mouth is merely a reflection of what's down in the well. Third tongue that, that Proverbs tells us about that God wants to be careful with is a truthful tongue. Proverbs 12, 17 says, Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness, witness utters deceit. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. He hates them. But those who act faithfully are his delight. You see, wise words are righteous words. Righteous words are truthful words. Lies are significant. They're not little white lies. And the Bible tells us that all of those are together. And what God wants us is to live out a life and to speak a life that is righteousness and wise, that is truthful, and he hates unrighteousness, foolishness, and lies and untruthfulness. That he wants that wisdom to come from us. Now, the thing about, about this is that truth lasts forever. Interrogators know that you know if you don't have someone, witnesses at the scene, that can be an outside witness, an objective to tell you what happened, you can interview a person. And you can ask them the same question in different ways and later on. And when somebody's changing their story, there's a lie in the middle of that. Truth is truth is truth is truth. It does not change. And it is always reliable. And God wants our words to be truth, and to be careful in our words. And we, we lie in multiple ways. There's three, and I've got to kind of move on quickly on these, but notice that the The first one is is that we lie when our actions don't match our words. That's what Proverbs 12, 22 is saying. Lips are an abomination of the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. You see, our words should match our actions. We become liars when we say one thing, but we do something else. When we're not acting faithfully, there's a word for it. We call them hypocrites, hypocrisy. And God wants our actions to match what we are Saying, matching reality, to not be a liar in our heart. Another way that we lie is we project ourselves to be something that we're not in reality. Look at Proverbs 26, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel, their fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips, and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. Doesn't matter how well that person speaks. Don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Here's what this is saying. You take a, a, a clay pottery, some of you have you know, pots and dishes at home that have been like fired pottery, and they need a glazing on it. They need a waterproofing to them, and it covers over that. Think like an M&M, you know, the candy coating on the outside and chocolate on the inside. What this is saying is that some people are good at lying. And they act, and they, they will say one thing. They will say pleasant words, graceful words, but in the heart, there's hatred, and there's violence, and there's wrong, and there's deceit and deception, and they are good at what? Acting. I'm always amazed at how actors can cry on cue on the screen. I just, I don't, I can't do that. I can't make myself do that. I assume they must think of some painful moment or something. I don't know. Some people are really good at acting, but at heart, actors are lying. Like they're portraying something that's not them, right? And that's what this is. So we need to be careful that there are people in our lives who are good at acting, and we need to make sure that we are also not one of those, that we aren't trying to cover over glibly what's really inside. So often people are saying, well I gotta get my I gotta watch my tongue, I gotta get under control and all of that. And we try to one of the things we'll try to do is they try to coat it and sugarcoat it and hide it. Don't do that, because now you're not only speaking bad stuff, you're also a liar. (laughs) Just if you want the well if you want good water to come out of your mouth, you gotta fix the well. It's gotta get clean. And God through the Lord Jesus has to dig into our soul and start cleaning that up. A third way in which we lie, and this is the one tongue that I'm sharing that we need to avoid, the other ones we need to pay attention to, but is a gossiping tongue. Look what the Bible says in 1628. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A whisperer, a gossip creates strife and separates people because they interject words of innuendos and, and, and gossip and slander. And in the end, it causes strife and separates friends. In chapter 26, verse 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Gossip always leads to argument. Gossip always leads to division and to slander. Show me a quarreling church, and I will show you a church with gossip in it all day long. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They're so tasty, little chocolate treats. They go down in the inner parts of the body. And we take that inside of ourselves. One of the ways that tongues lie is when we spread, we spread scandal and slander and innuendos. And we pass along and we're talking about other people. And along the way, the, even if what we share is true, even if in that moment, what happens is, and the reason why gossip is so bad, is we're acting like that person's whole entire life is defined by that one thing. And very often, and you know how this works, we all played a little telephone game with us kids, right? You pass it and ten generations down, it's something totally different. You know, you start saying one thing and it gets down and it gets changed. It's impossible. Gossip will always change the realities. And it always passes along lies, 100%. And so you and I, when we are talking about other individuals, we need to be really, really careful. Because pretty quickly we can become like the sports commentators or the the opinion columns of celebrities, and we can start talking about other people's lives, and we are totally into that ditch with gossip. And the result is is it creates gossip. Mayhem and division in families and relationships, and it does tremendous damage. And it's a, it's, the Bible calls it a whisper because these are things that we don't want to say out loud. Because deep down we know we shouldn't be letting, we don't want other people to know we're talking about this stuff. Like already inside, we know there's something that we are doing wrong and it's damaging. So, how do you stop it? removes the person from the midst. Take the wood out of the fire. Is what that proverb just said. Take the wood out of the fire, and the fire dies down. Bible is really clear. Gossip's actually, if a person's not going to hear the rebuke and, the, and deal with it, then they need to be removed. It's actually one of those things in the Bible that's actually a church discipline thing because it's creating destruction and disunity in a church family. But it's so destructive in our lives, and ultimately, gossip is lying. That's what Proverbs 16 tells us, and we are not to do it. Fifth thing, we should have instead of a gossiping tongue, we should have a gracious tongue. Proverbs 15, 26, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the gracious words are pure. Gracious words. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. See, we, we shouldn't expect the gossip to not gossip. You can't cover that over. It's going to come out. You're going to open your mouth. You're going to open the faucet, and it's going to come out. The way a gossip gets control of gossiping is stop being a gossip. Gossipers are not gossipers because they gossip. They're gossipers in their heart. And because they're gossipers in their heart, then that comes out. A fool is not a fool because they say foolish things. A fool is a fool because they're a fool already in their heart, and they don't have wisdom in their heart. And when they open their mouth, that's what comes out. The righteous, per- the righteous words, are the things that we say aren't what make who we are. It's who we are on the inside, and then the mouth just reflects and shows it. And so on the inside, we should be gracious and when the faucet gets opened, the words that come out. The, this word means a pleasantness. It means a goodness, a sweetness to them. That it be, should be something that's helpful. And they should be a healing and a sweetness to ourselves and not, a, not of a breaking of our spirit. Notice what the, the next Proverbs that that say related to this. It says in Twenty seven one that a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Somehow in our culture, and this is a public thing, but we think that people are powerful and strong when they're able to just spout their mouth off and be really opinionated and be a strong person. And I feel, ladies, you're being encouraged, especially be a strong woman, which is code in some places, not all. I, want, I think you ought to be strong woman. You ought to be strong in the Lord and strong in your relationships and where you are. But often that just means be a jerk like you've seen guys be jerks and just go out and just speak and be so, you know, out that way. And the Bible tells us that our words are not to be there, folks. There should be a graciousness to them. Not a harshness. That word harsh is the same word that's used of Eve. When God said, Eve, because you've sinned in pain, you're going to have childbirth. Exact same word. That idea of harshness means like we are causing pain in our words. We are jabbing at someone and have stabbed them with a sword. Well, Sean, does that mean how do we deal with sin? How am I as a parent supposed to correct my kin when they're being bad? Am I just to say, oh, that's okay, that's nice, I love you, you're wonderful. Please do that again to me. You know, oh, that's, that's wonderful. Be a liar, don't study, don't clean your own, don't... Just, okay, you totaled the car because you did something I told you not to do and you weren't supposed to drive, and all right. You know, are we just supposed to say nice, soft words like that? No. What it means is this is that our words, when we have to deal with sin, should always be at a point of healing. Think about a doctor. Doctors use really sharp things. Some doctors do. They're surgeons. They have really sharp scalpels, and they're fantastic to promote healing. And they deal with a problem. And sometimes that problem needs to be cut out and removed. And our words should at times be like a surgical scalpel, but should always be for the good of the other individual and not for the protection or the convenience of our own soul. You see, fools just babble off and spout and just for themselves. But instead, our words should be promoting healing. And if there's something that's wrong that we need to address, we don't attack and hack and slash. We surgically scalpel. And we speak truth, and to deal with that situation. And when there isn't correction needed, then our words are great, should be graciousness and a gentleness. And these are powerful. This is not weakness. That's what Proverbs twenty-five, fifteen says: is that a patient, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. That doesn't mean that oh, I'm going to break some bones. What it means is don't underestimate a gentle, gracious, soft word. It has the ability to deflate anger. It has the ability to cut right to a person's soul, not to win the debate or the argument. You're hacking and slashing when you do that. This is not about you winning and you protecting yourself and you doing what's good for you. This is you speaking what's needful and helpful to the other person. And the right word has the ability, that word of wisdom and righteousness and truth, to wobble a person and to speak to them where they need to hear that. Those are the words that parents, we need with our kids. Those are the words, spouses, that we need with each other. Not hacking and slashing and running at the mouth, but words of graciousness. Recognizing that we're dealing with precious things. Are you careful of the way you treat eggs versus the way you pull out of the refrigerator? I don't know, a cluster of broccoli or something, you know, or a can or whatever. You treat those two things very differently. And we should treat one another. We're not as fragile as we think. People are not as fragile as they think. But we should treat them you know, with the graciousness and the helpfulness and the health that they deserve. And when we don't, the problem is always us. It's never them. That's what's down in the well. Last thing. This is a restrained tongue. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Wow. That proverb simply says this. If you've been talking a while, you need to stop and say, God, where am I sinning? Because if you've got a lot of words flying, there's sin in the middle of that somewhere. When people are talking a lot, there's junk down in that well and it's coming up. Wise people, righteous people know to turn the water on and turn it off. Turn it on and turn it off and don't just let it fly and under pressure. that We do need to practice restraint in our speech. I get paid to talk for a living. That's my ministry. I, I, get, I have a mouth, you know, and I'm supposed to use it. And it's hard to sometimes shut it up. It really is. My wife will will even say at home, she's just like, "Don't use your preacher voice. Like you're loud. You know, everybody can hear you. We're right here." I'm like, "Okay, all right, I'll be more quiet." You know, for some of us, it's harder. The extroverts in the room, oh, it's hard to close your mouth and not to just talk and go. The introverts in the room are like, hey amen, I love this point. This is the best sermon ever. You're going to be sharing it with your friends and your spouse. Fast forward to the last one. You can forget all the others. Just go to like, shut up, you know. But we really do need to restrain our tongue. And when there's a lot of talking going on, there's sin down in our heart that's coming out. And, and here, here's why. Look at verse chapter 17, verse 27, 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. We have wisdom, we have knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. That's that's key. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. (laughs) And when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. You ever heard, you know, back when I've heard it, not in a long time, but if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything, what at all? Boy, if our culture needs anything today, is that. If you don't have anything good to say, just shut up. <laughs> just be quiet already. If you're not genuinely helping somebody, just be quiet. Even somebody who's foolish is seen as wise when they know to just shut the mouth and to be quiet. And the challenge is this this is that the way well works. When the pump pumps the water up out of the well, it goes into a tank. And there's a little pressure gauge on there that it's under the well. The pump creates pressure. And when there's enough water drawn out of the well, that pressure drops. And it calls for more water. And the greater the pressure, the faster that stuff flows, right? Just flows. When you and I are under pressure... When we are not cool of spirit, that's what this is talking about. In that moment, there's a pressure into our heart, and our heart gets squeezed, and it starts pumping out stuff even faster. And so what the Bible's telling us is that in those moments, we need to seek to be more the cool person with understanding and not under pressure. Or everything I've said this morning, my family may think differently, I don't know, but I think this is the one I had the hardest time with. I can get under pressure quickly and start going, right? And the Bible says that's not where we should be. And that if we don't have a coolness in our heart and our soul, we probably need to shut that mouth off and come back and deal with it later, And talk when it is cooler and we can be people of wisdom and understanding and speaking those things. None of us are ever going to get our mouth totally under control this side of heaven. It's an impossibility because sin is still in our soul. But it can get cleaner and cleaner and better and better along the way. And this one principle, if we will learn this and miss all the others, we'll go miles down the road to just simply restrain and shut the mouth and do it quicker, and especially when we feel that we're in the heat of the moment. Now, sometimes sometimes in the heat of the moment, you don't have that luxury. Sometimes we do get angry about something that we ought to be angry over, and we need to address it. But even then, we need to be careful, and to be very, very careful how we handle the tongue. So this morning, where are you wrestling? Where are you struggling? What's God been speaking to you? I know I've been speaking a good little bit on it. But where do you need to forgive in your heart and your soul? Where do you need to say, I am sorry? Where do you need to, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I didn't mean that, that really wasn't me, I don't really think that. Yeah, you did. Sorry, but you did. If you said it, it's what's in the well. Own it. And where do you need to go back and say, you know what, that was really bad? Wow, I didn't realize that junk was in my well. Just like I was shocked watching all the junk that came out of my well. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's where I'm getting my water? We get shocked when it comes up. But take responsibility. Ask forgiveness of the person and go to God. God, I see some junk in my well. Would you clean it up? Our mouth is one of the best indicators of where our heart is. And what is your mouth telling you? about you right now. If you need Jesus to forgive you of that sin, confess it to Him. And ask Him to scrub it. And make yourself available to Him. And seek counsel from friends or whoever, but deal with whatever those issues are, whether it's anger or jealousy or bitterness or greed or all of the junk that's in our soul that our mouth opens and allows that stuff out. Deal with it. And if God's spoken in the middle of this and you realize you've never really received Jesus, and you ought to do that today. Surrender your life to Him. Let Him declare you to be righteous. And then let Him start going to work to clean you up. But whatever that you feel like God is dealing with in your heart today, respond to Him. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for His forgiveness of sin. Thank You, Lord, that even though we all wrestle with with our speech and our tongue, that You forgive us and You declare us to be righteous and You look at us that way. And Lord, You're so gracious in that. But Father, you care about us growing in righteousness and cleaning out our well. So Lord, help us to be open and available and partners with you in that and not resisting that, not making excuses of that, but really accepting the realities in our heart, knowing that we have hope and forgiveness and a future in you. Lord, I pray for that for every individual this morning that needs to make some changes and to think through some things for their own life